0: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our March Citizen Climate Lobby call. My name is Mark Reynolds. We're having a little bit of difficulty with my camera, so you may see me in a little bit. But more importantly, you will be able to see Reverend Mitch Hescox, which is the person that we all want to see today. I'm a member of the Citizens Climate Lobby Board, and I'm hosting today's call. What's going to be happening in just a moment, I will be uh, welcoming Reverend Mitch Hescox uh, from the Evangelical Environmental Network to speak. And then hopefully there'll be time for questions once he's done. Uh, After that, we'll go over the things that we're inviting you to do this month, and then going over some of the highlighted features of interesting and exciting things that have happened in the organization, particularly since last month's call. Um, Reverend Hescox is the executive CEO of the Evangelical Evangelical Environmental Network. They educate and mobilize Christians to advocate for a stable climate and a healthy, pollution-free world. Reverend Hescox is the co-author of Caring for Creation, the Evangelical Guide to Climate Change and a Healthy Environment, and serves as a member of the National Association of Evangelical Board of Directors and the EPA's Clean Air Act Advisory Committee. I know that you're pretty familiar with our organization already, but I just wanna add one piece. Uh, I was listening to a TED Talk this week by somebody named Timothy Snyder, and he suggested that we should use democracy as a verb rather than a noun. And the people you're talking to today do that. They practice democracy. You know, our one issue is climate change, but our pathway is democracy. So we work to be better at it. We work to improve ourselves. That's something that we don't think is distance. It's something that's part of, and we're very active with it. You know, it's not correct grammatically to say that democracy is a verb, but I guess that's just gonna be, have to be one of those rules up with which we shall not put. So Reverend Hescox, welcome. It's so great to have you. Great to see you again. And uh, thanks for being with us today.
1: It is my pleasure and honor to be here, and it's great to have so many folks just tuning in this afternoon to hear a old coal miner's son to uh, talk a little bit about what I do and what EEN does, and how actually how we've worked together with CCL over the years. So it's great to be part of this. You know, before I flip to my slides and talk about that, I just like a little bit about um, tell you who I am and where I came from. Um, As I just mentioned, um, I. I'm a coal miner and the son of a coal miner, the grandson of coal miners, um, grew up in western Pennsylvania. My playground when I was a little kid was uh, an unreclaimed coal strip mine about 75 yards from my back door and um, played in all sorts of polluted water. I tell people that's one of the reasons I'm so crazy and willing to take on this issue, especially in reaching out to conservatives. Um, Then after my college career, I actually worked in the the power sector for a while. I was one of the uh, says leading people in grinding up poor quality coal for pulverized coal boilers for about 14 years. And then I left that and finally answered my calling to become a pastor. And I pastored a local church for almost 20 years. And now for the past 15 years, I've been the president and CEO of the Evangelical Environmental Network. And so with that, I'm going to share my screen. And talk a little bit about um, where we're at. If I can get rid of my little bleep there, there we go. uh, Oh, well, it's giving me difficulties on uh, letting me go to slide, oops, there I go, I think. Sorry about that. There we go. Now we're up here, well, you know, one of the things that's interesting about the Evangelical Environmental Network is we do mainly reach out. We are a bipartisan organization, but so many evangelicals are, tend to be politically conservative, but that's who we spend most of our time talking with. And I really love the beginning of your video because it talked about hope. And I always start out my presentations. Uh, if I'm in a particular area, I show something unique to that area, but the Picture on the left before you, those bunch of trees, is something that's very special to me in my home of Pennsylvania. That's affectionately known as the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon, and its uh, more proper name is Pine Creek Gorge. It's up about 30 miles from the New York border. But back in the early 1930s, if you would have taken the same picture that I took a couple years ago, you would have found those hillsides completely neutered of the trees. They had been cut down for lumber, for other uses, for firewood. The stream was basically non-existent. But then something really happened, which I think is just one of the great tribute to American conservation and American politics, was that's the formation of the Civilian Conservation Corps. And the Civilian Conservation Corps, like they did in the Blue Ridge Mountains and all over the East Coast and all over the country, was replant forests. Now that's a scenic wonder, there's a great big hiking and biking trail that goes through it. Pine Creek still hasn't returned to the form that it was, you know, back in the 19-teens. It's a great story of restoration and it's a great story of hope of what we can do when we can work together. And with that, I'd just like to tell you a little bit about EEN, the Evangelical Environmental Network. Um, EEN's mission is to inspire, equip, educate, and mobilize evangelical Christians to love God and love others by rediscovering and reclaiming the biblical mandate to care for God's creation and working towards a stable climate and a healthy, pollution-free world. And we are a faith-based organization, and we are evangelicals, so we share the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Envision a world with abundant life where all people are free from the burden of pollution. All creation flourishes in right relationship. And children have hope and the expectation for a healthy, vibrant future. And I think really it's key to us is that, you know, so many times we hear and so many of the people that share disinformation, especially trying to get into my conservative evangelical world, always try to make that um. Caring for God's creation, caring for the environment, caring about climate change tends to be a um, secular idea, an idea left for, you know, liberal politicians and liberal progressive folks. But it's not. You know, in the very first book of the Bible, God says to take the man and to put him in the Garden of Eden, to work it and care for it. And for most of us, we interpret the Garden of Eden to be the whole planet, the whole creation that God had. And I love this passage from Leviticus. You know, it says that the the land should not be sold because the land belongs to God. And we are but aliens and tenants. And that idea of tenants is really critical, I think, to helping us to understand that we're not owners of this creation. In fact, you know, Colossians talks about that the creation was made for, through, and by Jesus Christ. But being a tenant means we have responsibilities. We have a contract with God literally to care for the earth. And then one of the things that we really talk about here at EEN is the impact of pollution's threats on health. And climate change is the greatest global health threat facing the world in the 21st century, but it's also the greatest opportunity to redefine the social and environmental determinants of health. And that comes from the Lancet countdown that's published every year. In fact, um, it's a good statement that they kept on from the 2021 version. But let me give you a little story about that and how it works and affects our work. This story has happened many times, and I could tell you about 20 different versions of it, but the outcome's always the same. But I think my favorite one happened just before, I guess it was 2017, 18. Um, no, it had been about 18. I was down in Montgomery, Alabama at a Southern Baptist church. And there was about 100 people there for an evening presentation to hear me talk and it was really interesting there were a few college students who i knew would be okay and a couple pastors who might have been a little questionable but the person that came into the room at the very end of it was this very prim proper southern mature woman her hair was all done up and everything was in place silver-haired she had as stereotypically had gold necklaces around her around her she was wearing a bright red skirt suit, and on the jacket of that suit had to be, without exaggeration, at least a 100 Donald Trump buttons. And so I was wondering sort of who I was facing. So I gave my spiel on the impact of how pollution impacts children's health in the United States, from impacting unborn children. I won't bore you with all the statistics and all the things that I know, but let's say that I can tell you that something that EPA is working on right now, that PM 2.5, which is soot, is primarily produced by the burning and combustion of fossil fuels, kills around 200,000 Americans every year. You know, after the presentation was over with, and I talked about the impacts of fossil fuel pollution on children's health and people's health, I walked up to this mature woman, and I asked her quite point-blankly, I said, you know, obviously you're a Donald Trump supporter. And he has really denied climate change. And I'm just surprised that you're here. And her answer was one that I will never forget. Well, no one's ever probably talked about climate change to President Trump the way you have. And if you would get the chance to talk to him, you would change his mind like you change mine. And I think that's what we we're all about at the Evangelical Environmental Market: is get, meeting people where they're at, offering them people of hope, offering them a chance to use their own values to change and get away from what's happening and what's going. And so with that, um, I don't want to spend all day because I really want to have some time for some questions. But let me share with you a couple of things that we're working on right now in the policy world. Um, you know, EEN does a great deal of policy work in Washington, DC. We're also engaged very heavily in states like Pennsylvania and Ohio and Iowa and Michigan. South Dakota, Georgia. But the two things, the greatest things we're working on. we see advancement for this year is working on the farm bill. And one of the things that we've been doing ever since November is been out meeting with farmers in the states of Michigan and Minnesota and South Dakota and i hearing what they had to say, what's working in the farm bill, what's not working. And it's really a good thing that, you know, so many farmers, there are still Many farmers are evangelicals, and it's one of the reasons we wanted to listen to them and share their thoughts with Congress. But it is heartening to see that so many farmers are already practicing putting in soil health, putting in cover crops, and doing no till farming and reducing the amount of fertilizers and herbicides that they're using. And I think it's a good start. But they are critically short, they know the weather is changing they know climate is a factor some of them don't admit that it's climate change but they recognize things are happening and they are very supportive of the things that were in the ira to, to really enhance the farm bill sort of preempt they they're all jumping the gun to do it they want to be involved in soil conservation they want to be involved in putting carbon back into the soil and many of them if we can figure out the way to do it that's appropriate are very much interested in a carbon market farmers making another income stream based on sequestering carbon. It's one of the reasons we worked last year and it happened just at the end of the year, finally getting the growing climate solutions act passed through Congress. And so that was a big thing that we were involved in and worked on. So we're working on all sorts of farm bill issues and we're working on all sorts of, of, of other things, sort of tangential that you mentioned, forest. We're very highly clean on forest. We know what, how forest can, reduce carbon, they can help make cleaner air. And one of the things that trees are so good about is not only in the traditional forest, but actually the replanting of trees in urban environments is a key to reducing the heat island effect. It's key to reducing that soot, that TM 2.5. It's also a key to sucking in carbon. So it's big pluses all over the place. And then the other big thing that we're working on this year And we don't expect to see results of it this year, but perhaps if we're a little lucky is something called CBAM, which you may be familiar with. CBAM, Washington speak is always a bunch of acronyms and CBAM stands for Carter Border Adjustment Mechanism. And there are many Republicans talking about it right now. In fact, there's a bill being written, a study bill that's being drafted by Senator Cassidy right now that isn't out yet it's going to be a Republican-only bill. Unfortunately, his version is not going to have a price on carbon on the other side, which I think all of us would like to see. But we see this as a prime opportunity for having this border mechanism, this carbon border adjustment. We know that Europe's probably going to do something starting in October of this year. We expect the UK and Canada will follow suit by that. But even more than the chance for economic the economies of the United States not being able to sell to Europe, I think what's really a motivation for a lot of people, of a lot of Republicans in Congress, is the fact that it's a way to force China to clean up its act and to really to take a look at how the Chinese and the Chinese government produce steel and cement and other heavy, men, heavy manufacturing products with extremely high carbon intent and disadvantage American workers and American industry. I am very hopeful about that. I mean, there's a gang of about 12 Republican senators working on it right now, talking about it. They're freely admitting that what they're going to draft is going to have to be compromised, but the work's going to be getting it through the House in the next few years. And I think that's where we're going to have an awful lot of work to do, is getting something like that done through the House and hopefully also putting together some type of price on carbon with that. And even if it starts out low, I mean, there's been a lot of talk in, you know, we're sort of open the whole policy front. But even if we just put a price on steel right now for a border adjustment and look at an affecting price for like Sheldon Whitehouse did by measuring carbon intensities in the United States. I mean, EEN, you know, loves what the Citizens Climate Lobby has done with 100% coming back um, to its people. Um, We love that, but we're also happy to take some negotiations and to minimize on that by um, at least making it non-regressive. So the the least two thirds or three quintiles trials of um, making sure that they're not affected the poorest of of Americans out there the most disadvantaged to do it. And so with that, I am going to Work on really working together with all of you and to do that and answer some questions. Uh, one question that I just saw floating up, and then I will stop and, and turn it back to the, our host to sort of filter the questions is that right now there's about eight Republican senators actively engaged in looking at this bill and studying it. I expect that to go up again. But you know, one of the things that happened a couple years ago was Senator Mike Braun helped form the bipartisan climate solutions caucus and while he's going to be leaving because he's running for governor of indiana you know a lot of republicans are very much interested in joining that and being part of that i mean even senator grassley is i think there's a whole lot of other systems to people to know about in fact i guess one typical thing i'm will lift up is a couple weeks ago sheldon whitehouse senator whitehouse held his first hearing as the chair of the Senate Budget Committee meeting. And one of the things that happened in a meeting, his first meeting was on the cost of climate change for the American economy. And it was very interesting, while the Republicans on the committee, not one of them denied climate change. They all wanted to lift up the national debt as a larger fiscal concern than damages of climate change. But one of the interesting things that happened on that is one, as I said, no Republican denied climate change. And in fact, their witness, the Republican witness, there were three witnesses, two Democrat, one Republican, actually ended up saying about it in the question and answer period that a carbon tax would be the way to address both the deficit and to act on climate change. And I'll have to admit that I put out um, a few chuckles on that one. So with that, I'm going to stop and... uh, Be available for whatever time left to answer any questions that I can for all of you.
0: Great. That was fantastic. Actually, I'm going to turn my video off again. We tried it. Uh, Just so you know, in terms of you're never going to meet a more enthusiastic uh, audience about a carbon border adjustment than the one you're talking to. We are we are full on climate nerds. We've been to multiple talks on climate border adjustments. So anything you ever say about that, this group is going to love hearing. Uh, Flannery Winchester has been monitoring the questions and she'll uh, let us know what the uh, what questions are the most uploaded there.
2: All right. So we have a couple questions about uh, how to talk to um, evangelicals about climate change. So uh, Cliff is asking, how do I answer the claim from Christians that, quote, God wouldn't allow the climate to change and therefore they don't have to do anything? Um, And then by extension, if you have any tips for uh, talking to politicians um, who might um, need to hear a similar message, what would your advice be there?
1: Well, I think the first answer is really that. God doesn't stop most things from happening. I mean, I don't think God wants to see murders happen, but they happen every day because of human sin. And so to talk about that as in terms of it's our sin, I fully believe that when God created this world, he made it a sustainable place. Everything was in tune with each other. Everything was in right relationship with each other. But because of humanity's brokenness, we fell into it. And I think if the person did it, you know, free to give me my email, but to talk about, you know, I have a five-point plan that I'll just mention of how I talk to evangelicals about it, and actually any conservatives about it, but primarily for evangelicals, the first thing you have to do is to reach something that touches their heart, and for us, that's children's health. We are a pro-life organization. We're not just pro-birth. We believe in caring about life from conception to natural death, and quite honestly, as I said from the Lancet study that pollution is the number one, fossil fuel pollution is the number one health problem in the world today. And you take that climate up one degree with what happens with food insecurity and water insecurity, especially in the maturity world. Uh, I often talk to Republicans that, you know, if you think immigration is bad now, 1.7, excuse me, one person moves every 1.7 seconds around the world today, forced to move because of climate change. The second thing, we reinforce it with scriptures, and we're happy to share that. If you go to EEN's website, there's lots of resources to do that. The third thing we do is something that CCL is good about is give something for people to do. Give them an on-ramp thing that knows that they're part of the solution. You know, 14 years ago, I told a farmer in Sioux Center, Iowa, that all of us have to be part of working in climate. And he came up to me after my presentation and said, you're the first person that said this wasn't just about big government. It was about all of us. And that farmer that year started no-till and putting in ground cover. Now, he economically benefited from it because he would then could have to the California gas haul market, which I don't say I recommend, but it gave him an extra source of income. Certainly offer hope. There are solutions. My friend Paul Douglas, who wrote the book with me, said, you know, we're not helpless or hopeless. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us. And then we asked them to get involved in the political process through whatever thing. So that's sort of a sketch. But it's the same way. i talking about, I mean, I make my living talking to conservative politicians. And I'm good at it. You know, uh, I was very key at helping Mr. Manchin get the IRA passed this year and other things. Um, And we're also, there's also some really good things happening on the EPA front that I did not mention. There are actually ways of helping things. We're seeing um, a methane rule to limit the escape of methane, which represents 30%. Methane leaks represent 30% of climate change in the United States. EPA is addressing that right now. They're just taking comments on that soot rule, the PM 2.5, or having the cross-state ozone rule come out. And I know that many conservatives aren't big fans of regulation. And as a lifelong conservative, I'm really not either. But I look at it this way. If people don't stop refusing to speed, it's one of the reasons we need police officers. or committing crime. And right now, too many in the industry try to pass the buck and the costs of their pollution onto us. And if they're not willing to stop it and the market isn't yet prepared to, to address it because we don't have a price on carbon or the other externalities, we need EPA to do it. So that's a long answer to a short question.
2: No, that's fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, so our most upvoted question, you mentioned uh, Senator Manchin and our most upvoted question is about uh, about Manchin and the process of the reconciliation bill. Um, and just wondering if you have uh, any insight into that, this person specifically referencing um, that the conversations at that point in the fall were seemed to be uh, edging closer to carbon pricing potentially being included uh, in in that package. and um, ultimately it wasn't. but uh, so this person's asking, do you have any uh, f- insight into his perspective there um, and uh, his ultimate support of the of the IRA, which, uh, didn't
1: have a price on carbon. Now, I, there's one way reason why the IRA got passed with Senator Manchin's vote. And that was the 48 C&Q tax credit for the advanced manufacturing tax credit. That was something he could take back to West Virginia and really offer to some of the coal mining communities, the fossil fuel communities that are dying for a chance of new jobs. He and Senator Stabenow actually introduced that bill a couple of years before. It was sort of the one thing that he needed. And he was not yet ready to, for him politically in West Virginia, to support a carbon tax. But I think as we go to border adjustments with a carbon tax, I think we give him a better opportunity to join on board. Because, again, it's protecting those workers. It's offering new sources of hope and work for West Virginia. And I think so that's my approach now with Senator Manchin. And also, just so everybody knows, if you don't, I mean, Luke, his number one energy staffer, has left. And so there's a whole new gang in there working. So it's going to be a process of educating those people as well, too. But the one thing I will also look just on the cost of things, Senator Manchin actually overrode his staff on the Merck, the methane fee. His yeah. staff said he shouldn't do it, but he said, yeah, this is a good idea. Companies need to be responsible for it. So he overrode those decisions and allowed that to be included in the bill.
0: Wow, that's that's fantastic. Uh, and boy, thank you so much again, Reverend Hescox. This was an absolutely amazing presentation. Um, I can see in the chat people wanting to find out how, how where they can use this presentation in their own world. So that's great. And we'll make sure that we spread it out as much as we can. Thank you for all the extraordinary work you're doing. And thank you so much again for joining us. Please feel free to stay on for the next 10 or 15 minutes if you want, if you want to hear kind of what we're doing this month and some of the things that have happened. But uh, that was really, really spot on. Thank you so much.
1: Well, you're quite welcome. And it's my pleasure to be part of working with you folks and anything that EEN can do for CCL, we are certainly willing to do. And for any of your participants, you know, if they want some more advice, uh, they can certainly go to our website at creationcare.org or you know, my email is mitch at creationcare.org and contact me and we'll be happy to do the best we can to answer questions and share our knowledge and wisdom with them.
0: Right. And that obviously goes both ways. Anything we can ever do for you, please let us know. We'd be happy to do whatever, whatever you need. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> okay. So what are we doing this month? Um, first of all, our first action is to get ready for Earth Day. So we have a goal of 500 Earth Day events. And, you know, it's been, we're three years into the pandemic now. We've kind of come out the other side of it. Some people feel more comfortable than others, but I feel like this is the first time where we really get a chance to get out there and do outreach again. I love tabling. I love talking to people that I haven't met that I don't know. And so what we'd like to do is have as many Earth Day events as possible. We'd like to get at least 500 done. You know, last time I checked, there's over 330 million Americans, which means there's about 100 million in the alarm area, which means there's a lot of people who want to take action. They just need somebody to tell them what to do. So let's have a really big month in April. Let's go out there. You know, I look at our membership numbers every month. I don't think we're getting close to hundred million just yet. So there's a, a whole bunch of people that, um, that we can get to. And let's try and get as many events as we can uh, using Earth Day as the vehicle for that during the month of April. Okay, One of the last things you saw in the video was uh, Nick talking about um, the $100,000 match we have for the spring fundraiser. Um, We do two fundraising events every year, one at the end of the year and one in the spring. Again, yes, I'm sorry about my video and that this is only audio, uh, but we just had a problem with my video today. So, if we get 10,000 or when we get 10,000 or more in monthly donations, so that could be you increase your monthly donation, it could be other people becoming monthly donors. When we get to 10000 we get a $100,000 match. So that's a big deal for an organization this size. $100,000 goes a really, really long ways. So maybe you want to convert to being a monthly donor. Maybe you want to uh, increase your monthly donation. But as soon as we get to $10,000, it's a $100,000 match. So that's a really big deal, which also kind of combines with the third action, which the social media bonus action is to invite your social media friends to become monthly donors. You know, there's a lot of people that don't want to go to a a chapter meeting or they don't want to lobby their member of Congress. They don't want to write a letter to the editor, but they donate and they donate to a lot of organizations. So uh, if you would please encourage them to donate her here to become monthly donors. Again, a $100,000 match is a big deal for this organization. So let's all uh, go out and do everything we can to increase the monthly donations by at least $10,000 a month. The uh, bonus action is invite one of your new members to help you plan the Earth Day events. I think that's a great way to give people ownership of the chapters is help them be a big part of making something big happen. And then the communication exercise is about building electrification. You know, some of us have been practicing talking about Uh, fee and dividend for over a decade. And, you know, haven't even heard a new question for a couple of years about that. But let's start to build out our ability to speak to our other legislative priorities. And so that's the last exercise. But really, the two key ones are uh, getting out there during April for um, Earth Day, and then making sure that we're expanding our monthly donors. Okay. Uh, I wanna bring Flannery Winchester back. Flannery Winchester heads up everything relating to communications in this organization and frankly does quite an extraordinary job. There's two things she's gonna talk on, talk about. One is a new feature in the uh, weekly briefing. And the other is during the last two years, We got over 800 op-eds both those years. I mean, we got over 600, I thought. No organization will ever go over 600, but we got 800. So I wanted Flannery, to just speak to some of the opportunities there are right now with op-eds. We got another 100 in January, but Flannery Winchester, welcome.
2: All right, thank you, Mark. Um, So yes, On the weekly briefing, um, in case anyone is unaware, CCL supporters receive a weekly email that we call the weekly briefing. um, And we've recently started dedicating a portion of this email to a featured chapter each week. So this helps remind folks to get connected with their local chapter if they aren't already, uh, which is important to the way that CCL works and the way we make change happen. Um, But this featured chapter section also does something else that I think is really important. It creates an opportunity for us to show some love to chapters who may not necessarily be doing something huge or attention-grabbing, but who are doing the really core work of CCL all the time. You're holding your chapter meetings, you're writing letters to the editor, you're meeting with your members of Congress, you're tabling, you're welcoming new volunteers, on and on. Those regular parts of our advocacy deserve celebration and recognition. CCL would not be able to do what we do without all the volunteers and all the chapters who so steadily complete that core work. So watch for that section in your next weekly briefing email uh, in your inbox every Wednesday and tell your group leader or regional coordinator if you want to see your chapter featured. And uh, as far as the op-ed opportunities that Mark mentioned, we currently have three op-ed templates available for CCL volunteers to be personalizing with local information and submitting to your local newspaper. One is about healthy forests and how important they are to climate action. Another is uh, about the real-world positive impacts of the climate measures in the Inflation Reduction Act last year, and it talks about clean energy permitting reform as an upcoming opportunity to secure even more climate wins. The third op-ed template is for our conservative volunteers to use, uh, encouraging more climate action, and it's a particularly good time to submit this one if you are attending the conservative conference coming up at the end of the month in D.C., Um, but even if you're not attending, if you're a conservative volunteer, um, we have a version of that op-ed available for you as well. Um, So those are all available on CCL Community. If you search op-ed templates, the page will pop up. That's all I got, Mark.
0: Okay, cool. So last two years, over 800. I mean, are we now at some point talking about the possibility of 900 or 1,000 offense in a year? I mean, 800 seems so crazy.
2: I mean, why not? Listen, it's up to the folks on this call. Get, get submitting,
0: folks. <laughs> <laughs> get submitting. Nice. Thank you so much, Flattery. Great. Okay. Uh, over the... Um, Holidays. Uh, I attended a lunch that was um, uh, actually a chance to say thank you to Amy Bennett for her 15 years of service to the organization. She'd been running our liaison program for years. And it was um, uh, mostly CCL volunteers, a few staff and former staff. And we got together for two hours and I was high on life for a couple of months after that. And what I realized was how impactful it is for me personally to get together with CCLers. So I just want to point to a couple of places where I'm looking forward to seeing you if you're close. So, for instance, I will be doing the opening keynote at the Southern California Conference, which is on April 1st and 2nd. That'll be around 10 a.m. when that conference kicks off. So if you're in Southern California, I would love to see you there. Uh, and I'm hoping that if you are a Southern California chapter, you make it, even if you could just make it the first day when I'm there, <laughs> I, w- I would love to see you there. And then also for June, you know, we have gotten so much done uh, being doing remote work with members of Congress, but we know that there's something that's available when we're face to face and we know that it makes a difference to Congress itself when we are on the Hill as a large group of people. So for those of you who it's gonna to work to be able to come to DC in June, you know, we'll be, able to, they'll, we'll be able to make a statement by having a lot of us there on the Hill together. We can remind Congress that yeah, a lot has gotten done in the last couple of years, but we've still got work to do. And they tell us that it's important that we're there. So I hope to see those of you in Southern California in April. And for everybody else, I hope to see you in June in Washington, DC. Uh, There was a question in the chat about what is Citizens' Climate Education. We have two organizations, Citizens' Climate Lobby, which is a 501c4, and Citizens' Climate Education, which is where most people donate because it's possible for you to get a tax write-off from that. So it's the Citizens' Climate Education that is the 501c3 that you can get a tax write-off. Okay, so on um, Valentine's Day this year, there was a bill introduced in the California Assembly called AB 855, the Carbon Cashback Fund. Now, how this came about is a member of the California Assembly went to our CCL volunteers in, in her district and said, I want to introduce this bill, and but I need your help to do it. So We are a long, long ways from actually making that a reality here in California. But it's pretty remarkable that it actually got introduced. California has a current um, cap-and-trade law that stays in effect until 2030. So that thing still has a lot of life. We look at this as a long-term, over-the-next-couple-of-years approach of notifying people in California about the impact of carbon cashback. The language is very general it is 8.55. Thank you for whoever said that. It is 8.58, not 8.55. Thank you, Stephen Tanner. It's Assembly Bill 8.58. Um, you know, California is somewhere between the third and fourth largest economy in the world, and it's been a trendsetter on many issues. We're hoping to use this process to, to really create the concept inside California as a possible cal, uh, cashback system. We're super excited about it, knowing that there is a still existing law and a lot of complications, but nevertheless, very excited. And I think most important that that member of the assembly went to our volunteers and said, I want to make this happen. Um, That speaks loudly of the kind of impact you're making around the country. Thank you for that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks again for Reverend Hescox. We'll see you in April. Let's go make some big things happen, both on the fundraising side and the outreach side. Thanks a lot, everybody. Bye now.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. And together,
0: we are creating the political will for a livable world.